Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are, and shalom and welcome to you, Maka Fleischer. How Hi you there. Doing? You had a busy day. Yes, I was out. Uh, You're still here broadcasting the show. Yes, yes, I was Good out. I was out in the field today with uh, the I-24 crew, and we were filming a film about uh, a feature about the Israel Biblical Highway. And we went to three spots. We went to Tel Beersheba, which is a beautiful ancient city that's still there with an ancient well that still has water. And really, we're talking about a city probably from the tribe of Shimon that was within the tribe of Judah. There's like a, a small tribe of Shimon that is within big Judah. And, right. and, you know, that's what they're thinking. And we went from there. And it's got a, there, there were Gentiles there, non-Jews from Indonesia. Blowing, who were visiting. Who were visiting. And, and, and there was also American, you know, uh, Bible lovers uh, out there reading the Bible and the Indonesians blowing the shofar. Right. Wow. And I said to my crew that was with me, I'm like, this is what I want you to film. People are coming for the Bible. Right. People are coming for the Bible. That's and they're the draw. Like, right. It's we an do asset. They're nice beaches. They're fine but beaches. But that's not why people are coming. Cyprus next door has just as good beaches. It's fine. Uh, by the way, uh, I had some great Cyprus grapefruit juice that you brought. It was that's from right. Cyprus. It's a, it's tangier than the American grapefruit juice. It's there's like a a tang on the hmm. on the front tongue. Anyway, I don't know. anyway, so Maybe there was that acidity of the soil. Or something. Right. We went from Beersheba to um, Hebron, my home turf. Yes. And he did amazing drone footage of the Maharat. The Mahpala and the Maharat was flapping all these flags that it has right now. It was, it was nice. Wow. Maybe he'll maybe he'll share that footage with That you. was good stuff. And then finally we went here to the Ari Fold Observatory. That's nice. Observation point overlooking uh, from one of the tallest points in Gush Etzion, overlooking the Baracha Valley, the Blessings Valley right below us from the book of Chronicles 2, Emek Yehoshaphat. And also, excuse me, not Emek Yehoshaphat, it's the, the King Yehoshaphat with Emek Bracha. Emek Yehoshaphat is actually in Jerusalem. And uh, it was just, it was great. Uh, really you know, nice. but, and, and, and there's a lot going on and we're doing a lot right now to get ready for the, the last of the national holidays, Yom Yerushalayim. Yes. Tomorrow, big flag parade. I think it's going to be great. And then afterwards, and the news media keeps saying to me, like, where's the ministers going to be and what's going to... I find you know, this, like, they are trying so... They need a war. They need conflict to squeeze a conflict out of a thing that literally happens every year and is totally fine. You should tweet that, by the way. Let's tweet that. I want you to tweet that. It should be like, uh, I'm going to tweet it. Like it's like the American Weather Channel. We've talked about this before. It's like it's so stormy out here. Everybody go and make sure you get water. And then it's like it rained. Like just okay. Like there is a march, which means it's like a Jewish. And an Israeli national happy and proud day. And therefore, there's always a possibility that people who are very uncomfortable with the idea of Israel existing or being proud of itself may come out of the woodwork. Just like they can come out of the woodwork on any given Thursday 
at any given hour to do any kind of act against somebody and maybe it'll be at the Jerusalem parade but probably not because usually every single year the same discussion happens about the Jerusalem Day Parade and are they going to allow it and are they not and is it going to be in the Muslim quarter and is it not and how many police that they brought out special for this and they're going to have police horses and this and it's like yes you mean there's going to be like a big march with a lot of people in Jerusalem and Jerusalem is a is a security tense place generally and so it will continue to be. Yeah. Remember, I think there was a football movie called Any Given Sunday. I think yes. there was. So this is like Any Given Yom Yerushalayim. Yeah. I think I might call the show that. Should I call the show that? Is that going to be funny? Any no, I don't, given, th- I don't think people will Any get it. Given Jerusalem Day. Oh, a lot of people probably did yeah. not see that movie. I didn't either. Um, I just remember the ads for it. Um, okay. But the point is, with God's help, it is going to be fine. And people go and they take their children and everybody wears blue and white and they wave their flags. It was like, I remember when there were these, um, like, uh, Deal, there were these, like, judicial reform protests. Yes, judicial reform. No judicial reform. And there were going to be protests in Jerusalem. And it was like, is it going to be violent? And is it going to be scary? And people were like, don't take your kids. It's scary. And I'm like... The first protest, I was like, golly, maybe it's scary. And then I didn't take, I only took one of our kids. And then it was really chill and nice. And then the second protest, we brought all of our kids because it was perfectly nice the first time. And guess what happened? Nothing, except for a really nice time with a lot of nice people, with a lot of Israeli flags. Yes, there was not a lot of cell phone reception, but that was about the worst of it. Okay, so that's right, Maka, and so Jerusalem Day is coming, but actually, uh, all that we've talked about, it, we haven't even for a second focused on the fact that it's Jerusalem Day. That's right. Like that's, that's, that's the big thing, and it's a, it's a holiday of physical, spiritual liberation, the connection between heaven and earth. Yerushalayim, Kiir Shechubra a city that, Jerusalem, a city that, that connects it together, and it was, it was made, meant to connect together, bring people together, to see and be seen in this great uh, city. Uh, Maka, we have a great show uh, lined up for everybody today. We have uh, a lot of uh, little segments, a lot of fun things. Um, and speaking of Jerusalem Day, let's hear our beloved Rabbi Shimshon Nadel. He's a Kohen. Uh, he's a great Kohen that we have in our, in our life. Uh, and he is also uh, the rabbi of Jerusalem's Kihilat Zichron Yosef. And here's his kind of second part of the discussion of the roots of Yom Yerushalayim. So here's Rabbi Shemshon Edel. Shalom Yishai. Recent months have seen division, discontent, and strife here in the state of Israel. The city of Jerusalem, literally the city of peace, has been the site of so much conflict, plagued with protests and demonstrations. But is there room for diversity in Judaism? Is there room for a multiplicity of voices, for pluralism? At the beginning of the book of Bamidbar, the Torah describes the encampments of the tribes of Israel in the wilderness. The camp was divided into four formations, each containing three tribes. Every tribe had its own banner or flag, representing its unique quality. As the verse states, the children of Israel shall encamp, each man by his banner, according to the insignias of their father's household. In fact, the Midrash describes in great detail the colors and symbols of each flag. But as we all know, banners and flags and symbols can be divisive. 
That is why, according to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, the tribes are instructed to create their flags after the inauguration of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, because the Mishkan was a unifying force, a central location where Jews of every stripe and color can join together in their service of Hashem. There is room in our tradition for different symbols and banners for diversity, so long as we can come together under one larger tent. Interestingly, the Torah commands that the Mishkan be covered with the skin of an animal called a tachash, a symbol of diversity. The Talmud and Tractate Shabbat describes this elusive creature. It only existed during the days of Moshe when the Jewish people were in the wilderness. It was a kosher animal, had a coat of many colors and a single horn on its forehead. Rashi, in his commentary, writes it was a type of animal that existed only at that time. It had many colors and therefore Targum renders it in Aramaic susgona, for it rejoices sus and prides itself with its many colors. Givanim. The Mishkan The focal point of Jewish worship is covered with the skin of an animal that rejoices in its many colors, that rejoices in its diversity. Like a magic tapestry, the Jewish people join together in their service of Hashem in the Mishkan and celebrate their diversity. We are indeed a diverse community. It is our challenge, but it's also our strength. This is the unique quality of the Jewish people. It's part of our fiber, the very fabric of who we are. This week, we celebrate Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day. We express our gratitude for the gift that Hashem gave us during those six miraculous days in June 1967. And just like the Mishkan, Jerusalem, the city, is a unifying force. The psalmist writes in Psalm 122, the built-up Jerusalem is a city that fosters togetherness. For there the tribes ascended, the tribes of Hashem, as a testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. It is here that all of Israel would ascend to the holy temple to serve Hashem together. As the Talmud states in Tractate Yoma, Jerusalem was not divided among the tribes. It did not belong to one specific tribe. It belonged to all of them. Each and every tribe had a place. Each could call it home. But by its very nature, Jerusalem is also a diverse city. Even a brief visit to the Kotel Plaza attests to this. One trying to pray is barraged by the sounds of competing minyanim. You have Sephardic chanting, Hasidic shouting, Karlbach singing. Each group expressing their devotion to Hashem through the voice of their unique liturgical tradition. And what appears to be a dissonant cacophony is in reality one glorious symphony. Jerusalem, much like the banners and flags of Bamidbar, represents a colorful unity. It is a city of diversity and togetherness all at once. And that's just the way it should be. Wishing all of the listeners a Yom Yerushalayim Sameach from Jerusalem. Thank you, Rabbi Shimshon. Very interesting. Great stuff. And it's so fun to have uh, Rabbi Shimshon on our program. And um, um, he's, you know, he, he brings it down. And I want to tell you, if there's a Jew that's celebrating Yom Yerushalayim, it's Rabbi Shimshon. It's, it, it's, it's the ingathering of the exiles. It's, it's Shivat Zion. And the heart of it all is Yerushalayim. Always has been. Always has been. Although uh, for Hebron, 
we actually also celebrate the next day, which was which is Hebron Liberation Day. Right. Because um, the day after they came for Jerusalem, they came for Hebron. Right. And and what we're talking about here is the Six Day War. We're talking about the Six Day War that we still live with as a miraculous war that informs I think I'm gonna like do stuff right. I think I think tonight, tomorrow, Malka, let's put on for the kids. Like let's put on some six day war videos. I think I'm gonna put on something for the Harabai kids. Bidenu. Yeah, but like the whole thing, because I think I think I think I think the kids will enjoy it. I'm gonna look on the internet for for some uh, six day war movies. Uh, one of the stars of the six day war uh, was Rabbi Gorin, who was, you know, kind of a righteous man, of a, a warrior. Kohen Milchama. Yeah, Kohen Mashu, a a, a a priest of war. Uh, both a general and a, and a top chief rabbi, just an amazing man. Um, and uh, maybe maybe also another thing we'll do tomorrow is listen to the audio that I have from him speaking on a, like a forty five minute interview in Hebrew. Uh, but for now, let's listen to Ben Bresky with his history moment about the life and times of Rabbi Shlomo Gordon. This is a moment in Jewish history. Rabbi Shlomo Gorin was the first chief rabbi of the Israel Defense Forces and in 1967 participated in the liberation of the Western Wall and Temple Mount in the old city of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War. Born in Poland, his family immigrated to the land of Israel in 1925. His family helped found Kafar Hasidim near Haifa, where Gorin grew up. He entered high-level yeshivas at a young age and published his first book on Torah scholarship at age 17. He joined the Haganah and, after Israel's establishment, the IDF, where he was appointed chief rabbi, a position he held for 24 years. There he instituted kosher food, times for prayer, and introduced ways for both religious and secular soldiers to interact. He arranged for army bases to have a synagogue, but made sure attending services was not mandatory. In one instance, he recruited religious soldiers to dig trenches on Shabbat because he felt it was necessary to prevent enemy invasion. From the War of Independence in 1948 until 1967, Jerusalem was divided, with the west side being under Israeli control and the east side, including the old city, being under Jordanian control. Jews were not allowed to visit during those 19 years, and holy sites such as the Hurva Synagogue and the Mount of Olives Cemetery were desecrated. On June 7, 1967, the Israeli army succeeded in liberating the old city of Jerusalem. Especially when he entered into the Jordanian sector of Jerusalem and to stand before the Wailing Wall. To world jury, a deeply emotional occasion of great historic importance. The swiftest, most overwhelming victory of all time. Rabbi Gorin was at the Western Wall and on the Temple Mount, where he gave a prayer of thanksgiving, broadcast live to the entire country. At the Western Wall, he blew the shofar and held the first Jewish prayer service since 1948. The following is a partial translation. I am speaking to you from the plaza of the Western Wall, the remnant of our holy temple. Comfort my people, comfort them, says the Lord your God. This is the day we have hoped for. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The vision of all generations is being realized before our eyes. The city of God, 
the site of the temple, the temple mount, and the western wall, the symbol of the nation's redemption, have been redeemed today by you, heroes of the Israel Defense Forces. By doing so, you have fulfilled the oath of generations. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its cunning. Indeed, we have not forgotten you, Jerusalem, our holy city, our glory. In the name of the entire Jewish people in Israel and the diaspora, I hereby recite with supreme joy, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us in life, who has preserved us, and enabled us to reach this day, this year in Jerusalem rebuilt. The next day, the army was preparing to enter Gush Etzion and Hebron, where Rabbi Gorin had studied in his youth until the 1929 Hebron massacre. Rabbi Gorin and his driver took a jeep to catch up with the army, which they assumed were already in Hebron, but when they arrived, they found themselves alone. As they passed the empty streets, they saw white flags of surrender hanging from the windows. Thus, the city of the patriarchs and matriarchs was liberated without firing a single shot. Rabbi Gorin arrived at the cave of Machpelach and became the first Jewish person to freely enter and pray at the holy site in 700 years. In 1972, he was elected Ashkenazic Chief Rabbi of Israel, where he presided over many controversial cases during his ten years in the position. One such issue was that of Miriam and Hanoch Langer, brother and sister who were declared Mamserim, children born to an adulterous relationship and thus unable to marry except to another Mamser. It was initially argued that the sibling's mother was still married to her first husband when she got married to her current one, yet Rabbi Gorin's investigation revealed that her brief marriage to a non-Jew was not performed under Jewish law. The issue arose as to whether they were ever technically married and whether their separation constituted an official divorce. Rabbi Gorin convened a private committee of nine rabbis who ruled the children were not mamzers and could proceed with their respective weddings, and thus 27-year-old Hanoch Langer married his fiancée and 25-year-old Miriam married her fiancée in a joint ceremony which elicited much publicity. Rabbi Gorin's handling of the affair gained fierce scrutiny from his fellow rabbis. He later founded the Idra Yeshiva near the western wall of Jerusalem, and in his final years headed the Har Bracha Yeshiva in Samaria until his passing in 1994. Defending Israel, Eretz Israel, and capturing Eretz Israel, maintaining our sovereignty in Eretz Israel is considered as Nefesh of the nation. That includes Yudan Shimon. Includes, of course, we includes. During his life, Rabbi Gorin was a colorful and controversial figure whose heroism during the Six-Day War is still influential today. This has been a moment in Jewish history. My name is Benjamin Bresky. For more information, you can email me at bbresky at gmail.com. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. Happy Jerusalem Day and Shalom. Ben Bresky, thank you wow, very much. That was thank great. You Rabbi Gore on a national treasure.
Indeed, he is a national treasure, Malka. And Rabbi Gorin loved the Temple Mount uh, and uh, went to the Temple Mount and uh, liberated the Temple Mount, liberated Hebron. You can continue that process of liberation by going to highonthehard.com and they will get you on the Temple Mount. They, they will help you get on the Temple Mount. Thank you, highontheheart.com. I just want to say, though, what you just said about continuing the liberation of the Temple Mount, that's not just like... Can we call the show that continuing the liberation? We could. The continuing liberation. Of Jerusalem. Of Jerusalem. Yefemo, I like that a lot. Because that's really true. Right. Uh, the Six-Day War is was a real um, mile marker for the Jewish people, and it really was the moment in which we finally were reunited with so much of our precious city. Um, but, the, but the struggle over Jerusalem and the questions surrounding Jerusalem are questions that we have not fully answered yet as a nation, that we have not come to concrete uh, decisions about the future of Jerusalem, about what Jerusalem means uh, for the future of the Jewish people. And so when you do these things, like you don't have to go onto the Temple Mount to fight for Jerusalem. You don't have to. And I know that there are some people who don't believe that you should and all this. I don't think this has to be a source of contention between people. If you, There are certainly rabbis that you can rely on in order to, yes, go on the Temple Mount, absolutely no question. And if you want to listen to a rabbi who says you can't, then you can also. But the, uh, the idea of the ongoing liberation of Jerusalem is a real thing, and that is really happening. And I think that people should take upon themselves a little bit to be part of that continued liberation mm-hmm. of Jerusalem in whatever way it is that speaks to you. You know, Malka, speaking of what you're saying, uh, I've been um, I've been thinking about a little new segment for the show. Oh, really? It's so funny, though. I was like, I was like I've been doing radio for like 20 years, and all the time I'm like, hmm, new segment for the show. That's cool, though. I come, up, I come up with stuff all the time. It's because the show is alive. Yeah, it's alive. And I was thinking to myself, meditations, with Ishai, like a little meditation. Hmm. I want us to pause for just a second right now. Are we doing a meditation right now? Let's just do a little tiny, tiny meditation corner, okay? Okay, if you wait, I just wanna, I would wanna give a caveat. If you're driving your car, M- perhaps you do not wanna do this Meditations is another time. one, as a, is not, you're not, you don't have to go into a trance now. You're not going into a deep sleep. No, biurnal bi- right, waves or whatever those yeah, things beats. are called. Yeah, beats, I'm not biurnally beating you. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and I do not have a little gold, you know, uh, a, clock, a pocket watch that I'm trying to get you to pass out. Here, what I'm, what I'm just trying to do is trying to get us into a deep thought moment. And I, I want you to know that my whole life is focused around this moment, which is, blessed are you, God, King of the universe, who returns his presence to Zion. That's like my number one thought. That's the number one thought in my head. That's really nice. Thought for you is that when we say, when we see in the Bible that God reveals himself through fire or through great revelation, most of the time people fall flat on their face and prostrate themselves and bow before God and, and awed by his, by his presence. You can either lose your life, like get eviscerated by the fact that you are really beholding something you shan't behold, right? Which is which is God's presence. Or the next best thing is don't lose your life and just bow down fast and and be like 
God's presence is being revealed, and it's also joy and awesomeness that you are this close to like to seeing God reveal Himself. Who are in this we world. referring to now? Human I'm not beings. Sure I've experienced that. Human human beings in the Tanakh. Yes. God says to you, "Cannot see my face and live." Right. So if you you know there are people like the seventy uh, Zakanim, the seventy elders and stuff that beheld too much, and their and faces they got, melted off. No, they didn't face them melted off. Later on, they died because God punished them because they saw too much, uh, and were not as in enough of fear. Uh, and and trepidation and and also uh, glee and joy of the great gift of being close to God. My point to you is very simple. In the Shemona Esra, in the 18 Benedictions Prayer, when we say, blessed are you God, King of the universe, who, who brings his presence to Zion, who returns his presence to Zion, what is the next thing we do immediately? Modima Nachlula. Ah, nice. One of the things down. I think is That's that when the, we the see prayer service God's presence. In which you, you bow down. When I when we see God's presence in Zion revealed, we we bow, and that's why the modim nice. is right after that 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 phrase. Like God, God in our time is revealing Himself in Zion. He is revealing Himself in Zion. That is the time that we're living in. We're living in a time of revelation. It is not a coincidence, therefore, that we're also living in a time of disinformation and cover up and fake news. Because God is revealing himself in this world and the light is being covered up with all kinds of dross, with all kinds of garbage. But in truth, there is no greater revelation of godliness in this world than the ingathering of the exiles and the uh, flourishing of the land of Israel. And I add, and the building of Yerushalayim. That is the greatest revelation. And so let us look at Yerushalayim. Let us behold God's presence in this world, as he is in gathering his promised children, the promise that he made to, to, to the forefathers and mothers through his children in our time is God's revelation. Let us let us bow. Let us stop for a second and bow. Let us stop for a second and po- point ourselves to Yerushalayim. And when we pray, and I say this to Jew and to the international Torah congregation, the Gentiles, and I say this very, here is a commandment that I think that every Gentile should observe if possible. It's a small one. It's an easy one. You're not going to get in trouble with anybody. When you pray, pray towards Yerushalayim. Pray towards Jerusalem. All of us. All of us. All God-fearing people should pray towards Yerushalayim and be grateful that we are chosen to be living in this generation of God's revelation in our time in Zion. It is complex. It is messy. It is a million things, but it is happening. It is happening. Like it, don't like it, understand it, don't understand it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, Learn to love it. Learn to fear it. Learn to have awe and trepidation and love and all of those feelings. And next time, let us bow. Let us bow towards Jerusalem because God is bringing his presence into this world. Well, Yishai, that's, that's really beautiful. Uh, thank you for that. I enjoyed that meditation. There were no biurnal beats. I was not beating that anybody was very by your good, but that was a good that was a good thought. Thoughts with Ishai. I like that. That was a deep thought. And you know, we have uh, an I think the, another addendum to that miracle is that there are people around the world who recognize this miraculousness. Meaning to say, like it's quote unquote easy for Jews to realize that they're being like magnetized back to the land of Israel is something incredible. But there are people around the world who are looking and they see it too. 
And we have a very special guest who came to visit this week who sees and who realizes that the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel is something really significant. That's right. Uh, Back by popular demand, uh, Ryan Belarus, our good friend uh, and uh, native rights activist, indigenous indigenous teacher, teacher of indigeneity, uh, was with me uh, here uh, at the house, and we had a pretty deep conversation, I think, about the challenges of the indigenous identity, knowing that we're indigenous, and knowing how to answer our haters. Here's Ryan Belarus. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Back by popular demand is the one and only Ryan Belarus. Ryan, native rights activist, indigenous rights activist, teacher of, of indigenous identity, uh, and friend of Israel and our friend as well. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today on the show and, and being back here in the land of Israel. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I, I love this place. It's getting harder and harder to leave. All right. Well, let's, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And I'll enumerate them because there's a specific amount of things that I want to discuss with you today. Here they are. You've spoken in the past in the show about the five fingers of a native identity. Yeah. I want you to spell it out a tad more again for the folks. Sure. Let, let's get through it. Sure. So it's language, land, culture, blood, spirituality. So each of those, each of those uh, fingers, so to speak, informs a particular particular part of your identity as an indigenous person. So when they all work together, you have a functional and, and an, an authentic indigenous identity. So if you don't have, like if you're missing one or two of those, it becomes problematic. Let's get through it. Let's, let's, let's do it. Language. Sure. Okay, so every indigenous group has their own language. And it's usually a language that is very, uh, it's from your ancestral land, right? So that language is, is important because there's certain concepts that you can't explain in English that only make sense in your own language. Sure. And I've, I've heard my friends that speak Hebrew say the same thing. So I'm speaking That's true in every language. It's yeah. just, I, I can tell you as a trilingual person that, that like every language has its own unquestionable, its own thing, and that has to do with the character of, that, of, that, of the Slavic people in Russian and of the American people in English or the British people in English, and yeah. certainly the Hebrew people in, in Hebrew. Absolutely. No question. So, so th- that, that would be your language. Right? Earlier, you were, you were sitting with my kids, and uh, you were telling us about uh, turtles, that, yeah. that in your native language, uh, there is no word for turtle. Yeah, so it makes no sense to us because we don't have turtles in our territory. So why would we have a word for turtle? So it just makes no sense. But yeah, so, so that's language. And then obviously land, like you have to have a connection to your ancestral land. That's makes perfect sense. If you're an indigenous person, you're not indigenous to everywhere. You're indigenous to one specific place. Mm -hmm. So it's site specific. Uh, And so then culture is all of the different cultural manifestations. You know, the way you dress, the way you govern your people, all of these different things. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the culture. And then blood is the one that makes a lot of people uncomfortable because, you know, obviously blood quantum is a very problematic, uh, concept it's like you know you're if you, if you don't have enough native blood then you're not really native on the one hand it's problematic because they have been trying to you know breed us out but on the other hand you do have to have some sort of blood quantum otherwise you end up with people who had one native great 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 grandparent and suddenly they think that they're supposed to be speaking on our behalf so it is problematic so peoplehood basically you yeah. can't have you can't just you can't just kind of i mean maybe you can convert or something like that into a peoplehood uh, yeah 
So yeah, like look. But bottom bottom line, we don't we don't have to we don't have to go into the discussion about how little. Yeah. The bottom line is blood. Yeah. Exactly. The bottom line is a peoplehood. Exactly. So we have so we have language. Yep. Land. Yep. Culture. Culture. Blood. blood. And And then what I call the thumb, because it's like a hand. The thumb is what makes everything work. Right. The thumb is is probably the most important one. And that's the mode and method which with, with which you deal with the creator, right? So spirituality. Some people call it spirituality. Some people call it religion. Uh, whatever your spiritual mode and method is, mm-hmm. it has to do with your people. So, like, if you ask a Cree person who's never been forcefully converted to another religion, they will tell you, "I'm Cree." It's no no different to them. You ask them their identity; they're they're a Cree person ethnically, and they're a Cree person spiritually, mm-hmm. much like Jewish people. Like right. unless a Jewish person's been converted. By the way, by the way, the Druze are also like that. Yep. And I'm amazed sometimes that people are like, I don't understand. You guys are people or a religion? <laughs> and I'm just like, why is that hard for you to understand the concept that we're people with a religion? Exactly. Why is that why is that why is that why is that even tricky? I, I guess I guess people yeah. are so Well, it's outside of the realm of their experience, right? Because Europeans, you could be a European and be any one of a number of religions because right. it's not really intrinsic to their identity. And the main religions actually come from somewhere else. So Christianity actually comes from the Middle East, right? Islam comes from the Middle East. Buddhism comes from the Far East. So you have all of these different religions in Europe. So they don't really see because they're not- But it wasn't always religious. like that. It wasn't always like that. Uh, for a long time it I'll been. give you an example about some some a place that that I think is a little bit like Israel, but nobody ever- kind of agrees with me or 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 like likes the comparison. But I think there's a comparison between the French and Israel. Not the Jews, the French and Israel. Why do I say that? Because here you have a national country, a nation state, which is yes, yes, it was it always did uh it always was willing to swallow up a Morocco and a Tunisia and this kind of thing. But still though there was a French culture, French language, a French nationality and you kind of had to conform into that if you wanted to join. But then with time, they started, they also were like French and democratic, right? Mm-hmm. And then with time, it started becoming eroded and their culture started becoming eroded. They're, they also were basically a church. They had a kind of like, you know, national religion. Uh, but with time, all that stuff started becoming eroded. And then uh, the jihad kind of swept in and started taking over that country and also liberal ideas First, you know, maybe yeah. there's there's some of the those guys are some of the authors of of liberal ideas, but certainly liberal ideas crept in, and then as I always say, first comes uh, uh, progressivism, then comes jihadism. Like like first you weaken your national identity, and then the jihad like creeps in, right? Yeah. So okay, there's, I, I'm going to push back a little. Yeah, go ahead. That's right? the, I, I, you know it's not even pushing back because I'm throwing it out more like yeah. A, okay. Yeah. So the thing about the French is that they're not an ethno-religious. Mm-hmm. Right, so the problem is when you when you try to make that comparison. One of the reasons that they're not really very firm in their actual identity, and one of the reasons they're struggling so hard right now, is because they don't have that strength in identity. When you're an ethno-religious person, that means your your religion is tied to your right. ethnicity. Right. It's part of who you are. You didn't choose it. Mm-hmm. It just that's what it is. Right. The thing is, in Western Europe, especially, religion is is more of a, a thing you choose. And with the, with the French in particular, they were Catholic, right? So yeah, they had a national religion, but it was Catholicism and it came from somewhere else. Right. And it was not inherent to that land. So when you're, 
when you're part of your identity becomes something that is not really meant for you, right? Like that's the thing. Christianity itself is a proselytizing religion. Anyone can be a Christian, right? Right. And they encourage that. Whereas an ethno-religious tribal people, we don't encourage conversion. We, we, we're okay with adoption in rare cases, right? but we don't really want everyone trying to worship the creator the way we do, right? right? Because we're not imperialist. We're not trying to push our religion. That's why you don't see religious wars that are started by ethno-religious tribal people. Mm-hmm. You see religious wars started by proselytizing people, right. people that want to spread their religion, even if it means spreading it by the sword. Right. The problem with the French, you know, they had what we call, the, the, it was, it was actually the founders of liberalism, like liberal thought. And then they, they became very egalitarian. And then it was all about everybody's equal and blah, blah, blah. And post-modernity, a lot of the French philosophers exactly. were the main, were the main uh, promulgators of, of post-modernity. If, if you don't know what that term means, basically it means uh, that all things are equal, that all opinions yeah. are equal. That, and then, and then it's, it's a very, it's a very a short a slide into uh, all feelings are equal, all identities are equal, yeah. and maybe my identity is very fluid. My, uh, you know, exactly. maybe it's not so far away. If you say all things are equal, then it's not so far to say, well, yesterday I was a man, today I'm a woman, because yeah. I... Because I feel like it. Because I feel like it, and, and that's equal to yeah. the reality that was yesterday. Exactly. And that's, I think like what you're seeing in Europe right now is a function of that, right? You're seeing people that went, like my dad says, they got so liberal, their brain fell out, right? Like they got so, everything becomes about liberalist principles. And, but the funny part is. So open-minded that their brain fell out. Exactly. That's the, uh, right. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's weird because. But it's not that the brain falls out. See that, that, that sounds a little, you know, it sounds a little, you know, uh, hyperbolic, like right wing. It's the real point is, is that you got so open-minded that your identity fell out yeah. because all things became equal because, because a child no longer had, uh, 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 uh you, you know, it was like, it was like an olive. It was like, a, it was like a grapevine that had nothing to cling to. Yeah. There was no base there because all things are fluid. All things are equal. Well, they basically turned tribalism into a dirty word. Right. Right. And the problem for tribal people is when you make tribalism a dirty word, okay. you're attacking us directly. All right. All right. Now I want to get to something that I've been trying to share with other people so far also unsuccessfully. Uh, and that is that what, how does a tribal person understand an incursion of another tribe into their land? Why am I asking this? Because I sense very clearly that here in the Middle East, the Jewish people are a type of tribe and the Arabs are tribes. Yeah. And what we're seeing right now is a dastardly incursion into our tribal lands by the Arabs. And they're subsuming our land and our identity and our right to this land through a very clever mass effort yeah. that involves criminality, land theft, bullying, and at the same time, a perception of naturalization, a perception of they're the uh, uh, ancestral peoples of this yeah. land, and and in fact the criminals are the the victims are actually the criminals. Yeah. We need to say the Jews are the criminal class according to the narrative. Yeah. In reality, and 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 the problem is is that amongst Jews, and I and I dare say many of my beloved listeners, I don't think there's this clarity. Here we are, a a, a tribe with not, with borders. And this other tribe is pushing in, yep. and we are not pushing them back out. Yep. 
And even this kind of talk is like right on the edge of, of comfortable and, and uncomfortable. Absolutely. And, and, and how do I convey to my brothers and sisters who have lost a certain sense of our tribe versus their tribe? Now, I, another caveat before I let you answer is, yeah. I come from a Russian background. The Russian background, while, did not, while they did not know much about Judaism, yeah. what we call in, in Jewish Yiddishkeit, okay? They didn't know much Yiddishkeit. Yeah. They knew ethno identity absolutely they knew pushed that into them they, right exactly yeah. it was in the passport you could be a russian but you are a tatar or a chechen or whatever it is yep and and you were jewish ethnically you were told you are another yeah and so the old school russian jews were like we are i don't like i may not like that black hat jew but he, him and i are family we are a tribe we are a peoplehood yeah we're an, we're an ethno group, we're an ethnic group. Yeah. And how do, but without that consciousness, with the American Western, there is no ethnic group, it's all the same. How do I tell them, whoa, hello, warning yeah. lights, this other tribe is, is, is doing an incursion. Do you not see that? And do you not see that we're weakening to this tribe's incursion? How do I, how do I, let, let me, I'm asking you now yeah. as, a, as, a, as an indigenous person, like, like yeah. is there a consciousness of this other tribe trying to, Break in hundred percent. Like, and I think that part of the problem is that when I first started talking about Jews as an indigenous people, I was really careful and really, uh, overt. I said, look, first off, you have to understand that if you're going to use this argument, it's a, it's a real argument. It's true. It's the truth. Right. But that's not why you should be using it. You should be using it because you should be internalizing it. You should be understanding that you're part of an ethno-religious tribal people. That speaks exactly to what you're saying because most Americans have completely lost that. They're American first and everything else last, right? So you have people like Rashida Tlaib, who's a congresswoman who speaks more. If you go on her Twitter timeline, it's 98% about Palestinians in Gaza. There's very little stuff about her actual people that she's supposed to be representing. I got to right? tell you something. Like, she's my enemy, <laughs> like full on enemy. Yeah. And I made a tweet this week saying that there's really no difference whatsoever between fighting uh, Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and yeah. fighting Rashida Tlaib. They're on the same team. They're part of the same thing. 100%. But like, I like respect her as an enemy. Yeah. She is just a formidable. She's firm. Yeah. Look, she, the one thing you have to give her props for is she's consistently pro-Palestinian. She doesn't make any bones about it. Right. She doesn't pretend she's anything else. Well, right? she does pretend. Well, every now she and, does, and then she'll. No, she does pretend. That she doesn't want to destroy Israel, which she yeah. does. Yeah. And she did she also wants to pretend that she doesn't want to turn America into something it's not. Like yeah. she wants to be like, I'm a she is a liar. She is she yeah. she, you know, she is not a liar in the sense that she But she's open about her lies. She's <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So like but the reason I'm bringing that up is because okay, so you see her, she's acting in a tribal manner. Right. right? Absolutely. That's, and and look, I, I'm not saying we have to lie. The, the, the good thing about our side is that the truth is on our side, right? Yeah. But the problem we have is that we have a lot of people who are profoundly uncomfortable with the idea of Jews as a tribal people. Right. Like, so why are they so them, uncomfortable? Because they want to be like everybody else. And now if you, if, if everybody else has a religion, if you want to be like everybody else, there's really no point in having a Jewish state. Exactly. Let's, let's just make yeah. it that simple. 100%. Might as well just fire it up. Just be like everybody else. Then. Yeah. Just yeah. And, and assimilation is always an option. Yep. And living in Brooklyn is always an option or whatever. It's <laughs> like, it's like, 
Yeah. It's like take the option. That's fine. But, but like, but is, like the Jewish state is yeah. clearly. Look, it goes back to the question: Do you want a Jewish state or a state for the Jews? Well, right. even no. See, because in the end, if you just want a state for the Jews, i.e., assimilation, yeah. So then, it, so then there's America. Then exactly. there's no there's no point in having a Jewish state. Exactly. In Israel, that like, sticks out. Yeah. See, and that's the thing. You have to understand. But I got to get back. You, I got to yeah. get you back to the question. Okay. So because yeah, because because we, I, I'm talking to you. There's a problem. Absolutely. So okay, here here's how I explain it when I'm talking to people. Right. You guys are indigenous. You're indigenous. There's no doubt. You, you, you meet all of the signifiers. There's, it's not a debate. It's not an argument, right? The problem is how you're perceived. Now, you have a sacred place. It is the most sacred place in the world for Jewish people. Now, me as a non-Jew, when I see Jews downplaying the importance of that, and, and of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, of the Temple Mount, mm-hmm. and down, not just downplaying its importance, but literally saying we would give it all up for peace, right? right? As an indigenous person, I, I obviously I'm still a human being. I'm going to project how I would feel about my sacred place. Now that leads me to one of two conclusions. Either you're not really indigenous or you, you just don't understand anything, right? The importance of a sacred place is, is vital, not right. just for the religious people either. It's, it's an ancestral thing. So when I see Jews treating the temple Mount with disrespect and not right. caring about it, it's, it's bothersome. And like you just said, so how do we get these people to understand tri- like the, the your, your, one tribe is pushing on another? They are literally doing everything they can to assert themselves on your ancestral land. So when I'm here, I, I hate hearing that stupid call to prayer. And I know it's going to offend some people. I don't care. Whatever. I don't like it at four o'clock in the morning when I have to hear some guy strangling a cat. Okay. I don't like it. And I don't think it's right. And if you guys were a little more tribal, you wouldn't let them do that. You would say, That's listen, right. you can have your call to prayer, no more electricity. You don't get to amplify your voice. No, I have a, I have a, I have a, simple, I have a simple solution for it. Okay. It's an app. Yeah. It's an app on your phone. Yeah. You want to have an app on your phone? Allah Wakbar all the way. Yeah. No problem. The app yeah. is on your phone. You yeah. know, but it, I shouldn't do have it. to listen to it at four right. in the morning. No, yeah. And we all understand that the so-called call to prayer is a call for domination. Yeah. But that's the thing. You understand it. You understand it. There's Jews here in Israel that understand it, but there's a lot that don't. I've had friends when I talk about it, like I've posted on Facebook, like I'll wake up at four in the morning and I'm like, some guy's strangling a cat outside and I can't sleep. And my friends will be like, I think the call of prayer is beautiful. You know, but by the way, I do want to tell you as a Middle Eastern person, right? It is not offensive in my ears because, because, because to me, it's like some kind of like, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's 1,500 years of it. So I like, I hear it. There's a part of me that is not bothered by it, no. right? But, but, when I, but when I, and in terms of a call to prayer moment of a spiritual moment, but yeah. in terms of what it really is. And what it's saying. What it's really saying, ethnically, yeah. tribally. Yeah. Because it's not saying just a religious message. No, it, it's saying I'm in charge. Right. Right. And I, I tried explaining this to some of my Jewish friends. This actually, it, it, by the way, week. it literally means also. It literally means, you know, God is one. Yeah. But then Muhammad is his prophet. I.e., yeah. your Torah is fake. Exactly. One hundred percent. If you don't understand that, then you don't understand. Yeah, you don't understand what, what they're, they're saying. Yeah, they're, you don't get it. And the thing is, they're asserting themselves. That's yeah. what a lot of people don't understand. So, like this stuff with the Temple Mount, right? Like, I had to explain this to a friend of mine in Tel Aviv the other day, and it really annoyed me because he couldn't understand why the Temple Mount stuff offends me so much. And I said, listen, when, when a colonizer takes control of your sacred place, 
as an indigenous person, you should be upset by that. Right. Even if it's somebody else's, right? You see that and you should call it out because it's not okay. It's even worse when they try to assert themselves. So if you only recently now, I'm, I'm finding out that Jewish people can start to go up on the Temple Mount more. I'm seeing that that is changing slightly. It's still nowhere with, with the help near. of uh, of a lot of years of work, hundred percent. And also, my good friend MJ heads up an organization called HighOnTheHar.com. They are sponsors of the show as well, and they help people go up properly in the traditional tribal way. Exactly to the Temple Mount, HighOnTheHar.com. Yeah, I'm going up tomorrow. Oh, good so for you. With, with MJ? Uh, no, with uh, David Haivri. Oh, great. So, yeah. So, but what I was great tour guide. One of yeah. one of one of the guys that I recommend when people turn to me. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. Uh, yeah, for sure. He just showed me my favorite shawarma places. So, uh, but yeah, it, uh, you're on the shawarma tour. Yeah, the shawarma yeah. tour. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the reason that it's so vital, and the reason I think that a lot of American Jews drop the ball, like I said, they want to be a religion because that way, a religion is something you don't really choose, or sorry, a religion is something you choose. Ethnicity, you don't choose, right? So to them, if they want to be just like their Christian friends, well, then their, their Judaism really isn't a way to live their life. Their Judaism really isn't a whole ideology. It's, not, it's only a way of interacting with the creator, right? And that's what they want for their Jewish identity is only, it's only because then I'm in control. I am in charge of all of it. If you actually have to acknowledge the fact that this is just who you are, it's your right. blood. Right. Suddenly it makes people uncomfortable. It's your tribe. Because then. Well, that, right. Then history is the boss. Yeah. You know, uh, and you, then you have to acknowledge some uncomfortable truths. Right. 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 One, you're, you're, like the, the fact that your, your neighbors are not so nice. Okay. So that brings me to, uh, the second topic that I wanted to talk with you about. We already did two. So it's going to be four. Okay. So the second time, so the first one we discussed was uh, the, these, you know, five pillars of indigenous identity. The second thing we talked about, and I'm still not satisfied with what you said and I'm satisfied with what you said. Fine. But like, I'm still very, I'm struggling to try to communicate yeah. what's going on here to people, and which is, which is an ethnic takeover. Yeah. An encroachment is the right word. It's an encroachment. It really is. It's like when, when there's two native tribes, in the old days, if they were nomadic, one would just leave, right? But the problem is in the old world here- How would you signal to another tribe, hey, 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 I see what you're up to, yeah. and I'm not letting you take this water, I'm not letting you take this- you know, these yeah. animals, I'm not, I'm not letting you do that. So in the, in the old days, what we would do is we would literally just ride up to their tribe and be like, hey, we're here already. You got to go. Right. And before contact, that was fine because there was so much space and we were mobile. In the old world, you guys, that, that, hap that quit happening very early on. Because in the old world here, you guys have less resource constraints because you were agricultural people, pastoral people. So you raised your own food. You didn't have to hunt or gather. Okay. Right. So now with, with those kinds of borders, those are more firmly set borders. The problem is most of like most of the Jewish people I know are uncomfortable. Like if you look, who are the people that are pushing the no borders in the United States nonsense, right? Right. right. Like who are the people that are pushing the egalitarian? But that's, but that's, but that's exactly it. See, when you push no borders, it's like you don't understand the movement of peoples. Yep. You don't understand, for example, that immigration is one of the pillars of jihad. Yep. It is literally one of the pillars of jihad stated. That is that is a textbook. Yeah, that's one of the pillars. Right. Things. Yeah. right. It's like, and if you don't know that, it's almost like if you don't see the movements of peoples in history and understand the conquest. Uh, I just want to mention that my my good friend uh, Jake Bennett um, had me, you know, watch a show on Netflix. Um, 
and uh, it's called The Last Kingdom. Yeah. And sure. one, of, one of the reasons why he told me to watch that show is exactly for this. He's like, let's study tribalism again. Let's yeah. understand, you know, what an encroachment is, what, what, you know, how to fight back on these things. Yeah. Um, like it's, a, it's an important. I'm not recommending the show. I am not <laughs> recommending the show. Yeah. Uh, and, and viewer, uh, viewer uh, discretion is advised. <laughs> but, but, but I just mean to say that I, I really am, I am I'm concerned that people don't understand what what large swaths of movements of other tribes. Well, it's a problem. Yeah, right? it's a problem. And and I think that you know Jewish people in particular, you have to understand that your neighbors don't like you very much. And yeah, it's nice that you have all these different new agreements, the Abraham Accords. That stuff's great. But at the same time, <coughs> they're, they're what's, what's that old saying about if, if good, the Jews good put fa- their guns down? Right. Right. Then. Then they'll be annihilated, right? Right. That's right. And I know what you're about to say because my dad says it: good fences make good neighbors. That's right. But like, but like, that's what people don't understand about the Abraham Accords. Where do they come from? They come from people being like, "Ooh, that Israel's strong." Exactly. And therefore, we should sign a deal with them because they are strong. Yeah. That's that's the way that works. It's not like, oh my gosh, we have a deal, so now just like let it all down. No, it's like you're strong, and you might protect us from Iran, and you are strong, and you will you will supply food and defense for this area. Because exactly. you're strong, you know, and people like poo-poo tribalism. They poo-poo it, and yet, yet, what's so funny is you can't escape it anyway. Certainly here in our yeah, region, you cannot absolutely. run away from it. Okay, so it brings me to topic uh, number three. Um, uh, here's an here's uh, you know I I get um, uh, Google news alerts for my name like most people. Yeah, and I just got one today. And it's an article. Uh, in in a publication that I don't know called Quantara.de, Deutschland, yeah? yeah okay. I don't know what Quantara stands for. I, I really don't. Um, but it is, um, it's some kind of, it is some kind of, uh, it's about Middle East stuff. And they have here a, a, an article about, a, with a guy that's been a little bit following me, and it's called Flirting with Anti-Semitism. And it says, here's the byline. It says, uh, not the, the, what do you call it, the second uh, headline. Far-right politicians cite their support for Israel as proof that they are not anti-Semites. Yet the openly fascist members of Israel's government have more in common with Hungary's Viktor Orban than they do with diaspora Jews. And then at the end of the article, they quote me. Uh, They quote me. One second, I'll get it. And they quote a tweet of mine. And this tweet is a picture of me with Viktor Orban. Yeah. And it's and my tweet there says, at CPAC Dallas, great meeting with modern hero of nationalism, leader in the defense of Europe against jihad immigration, and ally of Israel, uh, hungry PM Viktor Orban. And that tweet went very far and wide. And they and they write, they write, they even explain. At last year's Conservative Political Action Committee conference, CPAC in Dallas, Texas where he was a keynote speaker. Orban met Fan and fellow CPAC speaker Ishai Fleischer, the international spokesman for the Jewish settlers in Hebron. After Fleischer tweeted a selfie with Orban, he was asked about the Hungarian prime minister's alleged anti-Semitism, to which he responded that he did not care. He was not, he, Ishai, was not a diaspora Jew, Fleischer said, but an Israeli. As a fellow sovereign, quote-unquote, he saw Orban as an ally in the fight against, quote, the globalist agenda which seeks to force open borders and erase national identities, end quote. The growing rift between Israel and the Jewish diaspora could not be better described. In short, 
what they were saying is what what I was saying, and this guy was so very surprised when I told him that was like, yeah. I don't I see Hungary as a fellow nationalist state. Yeah, like you described earlier, non imperialistic, holding on to its land. Yeah, with speaking its language, its calendar, and its calendar, and its coinage, and its all the, all the things, holding fast against incursion from this other tribe, jihadism. Yeah. And I see them as an ally in this nationalistic, tribalistic way of thinking in our world. Their anti-Semitic past, which I now realize is much more just xenophobia than it was anti-Semitism per se. They just don't like others in their land. Yeah. You know? Uh, but the point is, is that today, uh, 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 the European, the, the, the Eastern Europe, Poland, Hungary, they are more aligned with the way we're thinking, which is nationalism, family, anti-jihadism, anti-progressivism, strong classic traditional identity. So here's the thing, Yishai. Those people, the people that are pushing this no border stuff and the, the people that are pushing the, you know, egalitarian, you know, everyone's exactly the same and equal. Like, don't get me wrong. Equality for everybody, that's a, that's a nice goal, right? I get it. It doesn't mean we have to all be the same. The problem is it's really easy to make those arguments when you control 98% of the Middle Eastern landmass, right? So of course they don't want borders. Of course they want everyone to be the same because they want everyone to be like them. The problem is Israel doesn't want to be like them. Wait a minute, wait, you're confusing me a little bit. What's that? Who's the they? Well, that would be the Muslims. They don't want open borders and all that stuff. They no, just no. they just use yeah. the progressive front. But if you yeah, to to they can make the argument. Like if you listen to the Muslims when they talk, right? To them, the open borders to them means caliphate, right? Open borders to the actual liberalist people means oh, everyone there will be open borders. Everyone's free to go wherever they want, right? But to the Muslims, they're like oh yeah, everyone will be free to go wherever they want under right. the caliphate, right? I, I personally think that uh the nexus between progressivism and and jihadism is a useful idiot nexus meaning to say yeah. they either use them as useful idiots but we uh, to me today i understand that progressivism is a front a soros style progressivism is a front to dismantle identity to yeah. dismantle masculinity to dismantle borders and identity and then and then right after that progressivism comes the you know t real toxic masculinity of the yeah, jihad exactly. which comes and crushes you yeah and by that time there won't be anybody to you have no defenses yeah, right because all the all the masculine men have been turned into women right oh yeah. uh, well I, I always tell people that when i'm talking about masculinity i don't mean males no i know what you're talking about i mean a posture yeah, yeah. a yeah. posture a defensive yeah. posture 100% listen right. Part of the problem we have with all of this stuff, with the culture war, right, is that most of us didn't even realize that we're in a culture war. Right. Most of us have no clue. And I get annoyed because people will say to me really dumb stuff like, well, you're an Indian. How come you don't support open borders? And I literally think to myself, that's well, what, what that's Why do they say that? Because they're, they're, they think, well, all native people should be supporting open borders because we should be against anything that is nationalist, right? And I mm -hmm. always tell them, think about it. Why do you think an Indian would be against vast immigration? Why, why do you think that might be? Maybe because that's what happened to us. <laughs> right, right. right? <laughs> like we've, we've read this book. We didn't like it. Right. Right. So I tell them, listen, like, do I, do I support immigration? Absolutely. I think controlled immigration is vital for the growth of a state. 
but do I support unchecked immigration? Like, you know, Trudeau brought in, I think 650,000 Muslims, but he wouldn't bring in a thousand Syrian Christians. Why Mm. is that? Why is that? There is something not right there. Like there is, and, and look, you could make conspiracy theories, but that's not really a conspiracy theory that actually happened. So what is the reason? I think the reason is that they're, look, <laughs> now you're putting me on the spot. I, I do generally, I, I genuinely think that there's an issue with the Islamification of North America. I think it's a problem. I, I think that it's, it's scary as a native person who's already gone through one forced conversion, like one wave of forced conversions for our people. I, I don't want to do, see that do, again. Do you see the language that you're using? You see, that's, that's what I'm talking about exactly. It is a, it's, it's in many ways, it's a visualization it's like you can see the flow of immigrations of peoples and then ideas that come with them and the pushing out of other peoples. When you're like when you're not conscious of that kind of flow in history, then you don't understand the power of another tribe pushing in, and especially if you don't care because you don't have a strong identity in the first place. Exactly. That's the problem. Like, you know what I always think is interesting? And it's one of the reasons. Look, it's one of the reasons we're friends, right? It's one of the reasons that I have so many Jewish friends in Israel that I'm really close to, because you get me, you understand, like when I'm talking about the, the vital nature of identity, I'm not just talking to hear myself talk. I'm talking to somebody that understands it and, and can put those same concepts into their terms. Right. And I think that most Israeli Jews have a very strong sense of identity, but like you said, FSU, like former Soviet Union Jews, you had that pushed into you. Like there was no doubt that you were Jewish, right? Now, Ethn- ethnically Jewish. Yeah. Ethnically Jewish. So like the, the spirituality other, part was right. they, they pretty much stole that from your people. Like right. They, you know, they don't but, know Judaism, Yiddishkeit. Yeah, they don't they know, know that. But they know Jewish identity. Right. Right. And it's funny because like. It, do they even know Jewish identity exactly? They, they know their they version know, of it. They know. They, they know they they're know, a peoplehood. Yeah. Which is a, which is a very. And, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm like, you don't understand a lot of my nationalist so-called right-wing thinking comes from the fact that i'm a russian jew exactly and i'm just like this is our land this is our people exactly and not their land and you understand having having the background that you have where your people like a lot of my friends that are super nationalists mizraki why do you think that might be well maybe because they lived under they lived as dimmies they they know they got a real good taste of what it means oh sephardic jews uh, okay Mizraki. right so like if you come from the middle east and you lived under that system right probably don't want to go back to it right right, right right so it's it's one thing to say look we're a middle eastern people and we live in the middle east it's another thing to say well we should live under islam right and like i say it, i believe in a 22 state solution they have 22 states and they can keep that's them, right right you have israel and you should be keeping it but if you spoke that way that the thing is about their tribalism is that in, in many ways they respect that yeah if you assert it yeah. When you don't you assert it, they don't respect that. Exactly. And then they think, oh, well, you know what? We push these people a little bit and they give up. They give up. Right? They and give that's up on dangerous. The, and we and and we 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 would trample over their holy spot. And they they yep. can't they don't do a thing. Yep. They, they they in fact, they enforce our jihadist laws on their own people. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy talk. Speaking of that, and here's my final um uh, final question for tonight, final discussion point with you, for tonight anyway, uh, is uh, a, a tweet that I put out. You um, you spoke here in, in, in Gush Etzion a few weeks ago. I took a, took a picture of you, and yeah. I put it up. 
Yeah, I saw that. It was nice. I wrote, Indigenous rights activist and Maidi native Ryan Belarus speaks in Judea tonight about Israeli Jews, a group of, indi- a group of indigenous peoples who have achieved national self-determination. And now, and who now need to fight the fake white colonialist occupation narrative. Yep. Fine. Accurate. So far, so good. This thing was viewed 121,000 times. And, and I want to read some of the comments. That I can read just a few because oh, they're yeah, indicative. They're, yeah. Ryan, my man. Not only is, this is from Mo Yunus. Not. Not only is nobody ever talk, taking you seriously with a Raptors t-shirt on, but you're basically standing on Palestinian soil. I'm not even going to be like it's all Palestine at this point, but a simple Google search on the West Bank uh, should have showed you that your hosts are not legally permitted to throw that big validation exchange party you were all having. I still don't understand in what world is a Maidy native opinion any relevant about anything remotely related to Palestine. And he, and he, and he goes on. Okay. Yeah, you know Mo is Lebanese, right? Oh, is he? I, I didn't know that. I, yeah, I didn't. I know him on Facebook. Uh huh. Uh huh. So that's one. Um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, hum. White white European colonial settlers came, invaded, looted, and ethnically cleansed the natives. Similarly, Ashkenazi Jew came, invaded, looted, and ethnically cleansed indigenous Palestinian people. Okay, wait one second. Um. Another guy named Slane writes, famous native indigenous Israeli sports team, the Toronto Raptors. He looks very native, right? Uh, white man born has lived all his life. Toronto is indigenous in Palestine. You can't make this blank up. Um, you're not indigenous. You're literally colonizers who stole the land, says somebody else. Uh, yeah. Belarus from France wants to fight the fake white colonialist <laughs> occupation narrative, LOL. Um, that was one of my favorite ones, actually. Yeah, and there's and there's and there's there's just a lot of them. There's just oh, yeah. it, it doesn't stop. There was the bad guys got a hold of this. Oh, there's I, there's this thing that that uh, that a lot I hear indigenous people from Khazaria, Brooklyn, and Poland uh, or Russia, like you, says about me. Yeah. Um, let's see. Just let me just read one more. In which trailer park did you find this garbage? A white dude telling other white dudes they are indigenous. LOL. This guy is indigenous to his local diner in Toronto. Please leave Toronto. my Tor- Toronto Raptors out of this. Send that, send that guy, that's me, back to Moldova. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, oh, you, 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 like, like, um, we're talking about, we're talking about a, a massive amount of comments. Here. Oh, yeah, I thought it was hilarious. I, so I actually, I, I don't know if you saw, I made a Twitter. I, I, I've been off Twitter for a while. Partly because I have a stalker that annoys me and uh-huh. Twitter doesn't ban him. Why but not? I don't know. I've, I've reported it. And apparently, even though he uses pictures of me that are Photoshopped and uses my name, it's not impersonation. So Elon, if you're listening, smarten up. But uh, yeah. Anyway, I made a Twitter so I could reply to some of those. Because I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, what, do you want me to wear a feather and a loincloth? Like, I, Indians can't watch basketball? Like, what the hell is this? Right. And, it, and look, I make no bones about it. I'm pretty pale. And you're skin. wearing that 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 same Toronto Raptors shirt. It's yeah. it's become so, part. Yeah. It's become part of your your identity now. So, so I started wearing the shirt <laughs> yeah. in my other talks just to piss those guys off. Because <laughs> listen, like they don't get to tell me what what an Indian is or what they're not. Like they're just ridiculous. And you want to know the the real truth of it? The thing that they're the most pissy pants about is the fact that somebody like me looked past their nonsense. Because most native people, especially in like the activisty world. 
they just hear that bullshit about, oh, it's the poor, pitiful brown people and the white people came and took all their stuff, so you're just like us. Anybody with even a third grade education can read. When he made that comment, I, that really pissed me off, by the way, about how, oh, that's Palestinian land, you can Google it. I'm like, really? You mean like the 3,200-year-old mikvah in Alon Shfut that's like literally around the corner? Like Palestinian land? You know, you know the way of the patriarchs that's literally right here that runs through this whole area? Like... You're going to try and tell me, like, how many times is Palestine in the Bible again, bud? Right, like, right. They or, just or, no, and how many times is this land in the Quran? And, yeah, it's, and exactly. whenever it's, it's mentioned in the Quran, Quran, it's mentioned as our land, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, and you, and, and you can't win with these guys because, because they're not, you know, arguing in logic. But my, my real question to you was really not, you know, you know I, I talk to high school kids. I talk to college kids. Yeah. In many ways, they're just trying to survive out there, you know? In many ways, they are not yet hardened activists. It's not like the state of Israel gives them a lot of support. Yeah, it's true. So, you know, you see this army of hate. Yeah. You like that? I think I like that phrase because that's what it's it is. It's, it's like, like an a army of hate out there. Yeah. And and I like I'm I'm a, I'm comfortable being the lightning rod of 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 this thing. But like, yeah, me too. You're like, but like, but like, how do our young people? face up to this stuff you know what i mean how do they face up to this stuff when when they don't feel the jewish organizations backing them up yeah, they tough. don't feel that the state of israel will give them real answers they'll give them fluffy answers that actually subtly justify the the the, the counter narrative yep um so so you you're, you're just you're just stuck in a tough place uh and i guess i mean that's why it's good for people like you and me to be out there in malka as well um uh, but but like how do we how do we deal with this how do we deal with this how do we how do we do we put our head down and let the storm pass do we do we fight every one of them do we you know do we keep putting out just positive stuff and 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 keep being a light like how do we deal with the army of hate that is amassed against us and that's the other block of the conflict one conflict is what i was talking about before which is tribal conquest tribal incursion onto the yeah. land but then there is the narrative war and that narrative war has a counter narrative. It, it it uses it uses what's called outrage porn to to get yep. people in. And there's just oodles of hate. How do we oh, yeah. get, how do we defeat that? So one thing that I've been doing since I came to Israel this trip, I made a TikTok. I'm not a TikTok kind of guy, right? Like for me, I always make fun of TikTok because it's mostly girls in bikinis dancing around. I'm obviously not going to do that. But uh, what I did was I made three minute videos of Israel everywhere I go, mm -hmm. right? And so what I noticed was I, at first I got lots of idiocy, like free Palestine, right? Like that would just be the comment. So I treat those kind of comments the way you should. I mock them. So I'll say free Palestine, I'll take two. Right. That's right. right. Or, or I'll say free Narnia, you know, right. like that. And, I, and then I don't reply to them anymore because then they'll go into their big spiels and it's just drive by trolling for me. It's like, they're going to waste all their time. I'm not, I already made the video. But what I noticed is really actually pretty cool. My native followers on TikTok are watching the videos and liking the videos and they're not liking the comments, right? Like the comments, when they get liked, it's all the same five or six bots that make the comments and then like each other's comments. But the native people that are watching my videos, they like the videos and then some of them even send me DMs and they ask me questions, right? That's the best way to fight for me. I mean, I'm not, my audience is pretty narrow in all honesty. Like especially on TikTok, it's almost all native people because my, my TikTok was almost all about Métis stuff, uh, about native rights in Canada, explaining Métis history, stuff like that. 
and it, I didn't talk about Jewish stuff until I came to Israel. And the mm -hmm. only reason I did that is because I'm here. And right. since I'm here, I figure why not? I'll make a three minute video. And so like I make a three minute video at, at the 3,200 year old mikveh at the 12 mile marker, right? People saw that native people and they were like, wow, that, so that really is Jewish land, right? Like, and it's not like, it's not something you can really argue. There's your eyes. You're seeing it yourself. When I was at the beach in Naharia, I took a video and one of the idiots actually put in the comments, those are oppressed people. And I hope you're enjoying partying on their beach and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I took the video and I said, did you watch the video? Do those people look like they're scared? Do they look like they're oppressed? They're running around, jumping and yelling and having fun on the beach. Right. These so, are Arabs. Yeah. So you, you have to choose, you have to choose now. Like, do you believe your eyes or do you believe the bullshit? Right. So I make, I make the, I make the connection. And then my native friends, they watched. And one of them actually messaged me on the TikTok DMs and said, wow, like I thought it was supposed to be like they were all oppressed and stuff. And I was like, did they look oppressed? Like for real, you have a choice. Now, do you believe your eyes or do you believe what everyone tells you all the idiots in the comments? Yep. Right. Yep. And so I've done that all through Israel. So mm -hmm. I, I went to the hotel and one of the coolest comments I got was a, a, a native person wrote that place just seems like a really neat place, right? That's all they wrote. And then some idiot wrote, it's stolen land. And then they said, what's on the other side of that wall? And I said, a mountain, a sacred mountain. And then of course they were like, no, it's stolen land. And I was just like, okay. So bottom line, the native people that watched that, they, they were like, they'd ignored the comments, but they got to see the video. Yeah. Yeah. And they get to believe their eyes. Yeah. But that 12th grader, that, that, that freshman in college, that's yeah, bombarded by this stuff, bombarded oh. by this stuff. See, you and I, we're, we're, we're not victims anymore of it. We just, yeah. we have to tolerate it. We deal with it. We block people. We answer them sometimes, whatever it is. But like yeah. the bullying, it's the same as the Allah Akbar call. Yeah. It's the same thing. 100%. You know what I mean? It's, and, and it's, it's so out much. There. Yeah. Like it's, it's like an avalanche. Right. Right. Like anytime somebody, this is what really kind of was like my first real clue that this is not about Israel. And it's about anti-Semitism. I made a video when I got off the plane and all it says is welcome to Israel. Right. And immediately I had a, a, some idiot post a Holocaust joke. Right. Like one of the, one of the supposed anti-Zionists, not anti-Semites. Right. So it, it, it just goes to show you. And then and I have Jewish friends that are on social media and they'll post stuff that has nothing to do with Israel. And some idiot will be like free Palestine. I'm like, it's a Hanukkah post. Right, like they're they're literally posting a menorah that they lit with. No, the but they're right though. The, oh, yeah. They're right. The the bad guys are right. These are things that give us strength. Oh yeah, they're right. They 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 yeah. want to stick a needle into the balloons. Absolutely, they want to pop them. Oh yeah, and they, if you're and looking they, at it from their point of view, they're absolutely they're right. doing what they, they should they, be. Exactly. They, they our get problem it. is our side doesn't. Right. Our the, problem too. Look, like we talked earlier about my friend's organization, Club Z. Right. They're uh, like that's the high school high school yeah, Zionism. High school. Yeah. yeah, and and like if you wait till university, it's too late. Yeah, because the first day of school in university, you're gonna get you're gonna get absolutely hammered. You have to have these kids prepared before that. That's right. That's right. So I think like groups like Club Z, there's other high school uh, groups that are starting up now. You need that, like because if you don't have a strong identity by the time you get to university, it's over That's before right. it starts. That's right. And it's a war. It's a war out it there. It absolutely is. And and, and that to, and that's another thing that has to be prepared right now is that. Yeah, if you're in high school, if you, if your your kid is in Jewish high school and they're going to go next year to to college, you got to tell them, 
it's a war. Yeah. You're going into a war out there. The war is global. Yeah. Anti-Semitism, anti-Israelism, anti-Jewish identity, progressivism to try to dismantle whatever identity you have, yep. and jihadism on top of it to try to like come down like a like a you know like a like a Look, subjugating it's, force. Yeah, it's scary, and I, I like I don't want to. I don't want to scare these kids, but I also don't want them to go into this unprepared. Like, right. Because you show up on the first day and you have some loser screaming free Palestine in your face and you've never had that before. You're What are you going to do? That's right. Right? Ryan, I want to thank you very much uh, for chatting with me. These are important things uh, and uh, understanding them. Just understanding them gives us strength. That's one of the things that I've come to the conclusion. When you explain to people that there's a narrative war, explain to people that Israel is an indigenous Jewish people in the land of Israel, a, an ethnic group that, that, that is indigenous to this land that has returned and it now has a national self-determination, uh, as you say in your talks so very well. If you, if you have a sense of uh, and what, it, what makes up indigenous identity, uh, if you have a sense what what I call the five pillars of, of Jewish rights in the land of Israel, et cetera, you're more prepared. You are more prepared uh, to, to fight. 100%. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining me. More great stuff is on the way on the Ishai Fleischer Show. Ryan Belarus, great stuff, and thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. God bless you. This is Yohanan from Germany. Don't worry. God bless you. All the best. Have a lechaim. Ishai Fleischer will be right back. Okay, Maka. Uh, so smart. He's a great guy. And, Such and a great person. When, when, and when we were here in the, when you were like working on the table and when you when you heard us talking, you just like stopped and sat down to Because I didn't want to miss it. Yeah, you didn't want to miss it. I didn't it. It want to awesome. miss it. You know, um, we, Yishai, have been fighting for our indigenous rights in the land of Israel now since we've known each other. It's a really quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but I can't say that I've had like so much exposure to other people from other cultures doing the same thing. Right. Um, and so it's really interesting and important to me to hear from somebody like that who can relate to our story, who loves our story also, but approaches it from a very different place. Yes. He is He is also, uh, no doubt, a, uh, um, a, a Yitro-like figure. There's something Jethro. about him. Jethro, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a special person. Look at, your eyes like through, look at your life through heaven's eyes. If you know what I'm talking about there. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, Maka, uh, when we talk about Ryan Belarus, we talk about uh, native culture. We go back to our, uh, our, our wise men, our chiefs, our chieftains, uh, men and women. And the founders of our peoplehood are Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. They are buried uh, in Hebron. But they are looking forward to your visitation and your connection. The way you do that is through hebronfund.org. It's easy. It's amazing. Uh, you'll come on tour with us. You'll connect to these places. You'll come in fearlessly and uprightly, walk in the, into the land, and you will be connected to the founders of it all. That's hebronfund.org. You, uh, you can help financially. But first and foremost, and most importantly, come and be there, connect to the land. Another great way to connect to the land is Kosher Cycle Tours. Kosher Cycle Tours will kosher and cycle and tour you, okay? It's just, <laughs> it's just that simple. The name says it all. Uh, but what it doesn't well, say summertime is- summertime now. It's like a right. good time to get outside, get some fresh air, get the exercise. That's right. What, Make what, good memories. The only thing that Kosher Cycle Tours does not say in the title is what they really are, which is professional- and excellent bikes. Meaning to that say, that is not a small thing, right? Pro, just, just I would add, 
pro kosher cycle tours. They right. do it deal. right. They do the kosher part and the cycle and the tour part right. All the all, all the above. So check them out, koshercycletours.com. Uh, and if you're walking the good land, another way to really connect the good land in your life is to um, walk with the Bible. That's what I did today. My my friend uh, Yair Dan, uh, who's uh, who's my, my, my media consultant slash lobbyist here in Israel, uh, he handed me his grandfather's Tanakh, wow. uh, which was is like 100 years old. Wow. And so uh, I did that on I-24. And you need your own awesome Tanakh. It, it, should, be, it should be really... Um, Worn and 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 used, and a great resource, a great Tanakh is the Israel Bible, the Israel Bible. There's a lot of Israel Bibles, but the Israel Bible is a beautiful uh, addition to your bookshelf and to your life. Uh, it's found at theisraelbible.com. Beautiful cover, beautiful text, beautiful translation and transliteration, and commentary specifically about the land of Israel. Finally, Malka, uh, not finally, but amongst many other great folks that are part of our show is the good folks at RetroWatch, retrowatchguy.com. Those guys give you great, excellent old-school watches from the 60s and 70s especially, uh, and and. They, they, they just. How can I say? It's retro forward, and it makes you can like it gives you great time with style. And these are folks, the retro watch guy folks, are making Aliyah to the land of Israel. They're thinking about you know how to connect even more retro watch story to the to the to, to the Israel story. For me, I wear. If they go I, any more retro, we'll have to wear like sundials. That's right, and Kova Temple. Okay, uh, that's. <laughs> Biblical watch. Okay. Retrowatchguy.com, of course. And check out, try to put in, I don't remember which one is which, but put in coupon code Zishai uh, and you shall be Dang. rewarded. Uh, okay. Maka, uh, we heard Brian Bellarose. And Wait, but there was there's one more sponsor. There's two more sponsors. Uh, so we're going to do them in another segment? Or you oh, yeah. Do them now? No, we'll do okay. them in a second. We got to take a break, Maka. Okay. Take a break. People can't take so many sponsors in a row, okay? People need, people, the sponsors come with the content, okay? All it's right, like, go ahead. It's like the medicine... Goes down with the with the with the, I don't know, I don't know why I just saw some cornflakes with with strawberries in my head. Why did I see that? What does that have to do with medicine? I don't know. I just I just I don't know why I just felt like I was like. Do not take vitamin C with your breakfast cereal. No, you know that right? Calcium does not go is not friends with vitamin C. I don't eat breakfast cereal. I've stopped eating breakfast cereal. Um, and still though, by the way, getting older is not easy. You're not, you're just not digesting, like you're just not breaking fats down the same way you used to as a young person. So struggling with that stuff as well. Wait, this all has of us- been your Jewish ailment section. Oh, of the yeah. show. Give up. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a new segment. Okay. Of the show. Yeah, we do this every, every here and there. Yeah. From time to time. Oi, give up. Yeah. Anyway, my spleen. <laughs> Maka, we, we spoke not with digesting the- like I used to. I just, I just, I don't want, eat breakfast cereal anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You're killing me, Maka. You're killing me. You're killing me here. Okay. <laughs> Maka, we, we spoke with Brian, Brian Bellarose, yeah. and we talked in the theory about how to talk to the world about the Israel story. I was on RT, which is Russia Today, pretty anti Semitic organization, really. Pretty, That's pretty, sad. pretty anti Israel. Uh, and I knew that I was. Uh, Wait, I, is that the interview you were listening to here in the show uh, in the house? I heard you yeah. listening. They're like they talked about some like settler march. Yeah, this was. I you know I I didn't hear very well because you were playing it in a different room and I didn't come in to listen. But I think I would have been like they they wanted to know about the Jerusalem Day Parade. I no, guess. no, 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 no. This oh, is no? an older interview about the oh, so-called settler oh. march 
to uh, the community in Samaria. Ah, uh, uh, Aviatar. To, to Aviatar. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. So he, he, get a, here's a listen to how I dealt with uh, this this interview on RT, Ooh. and I'll give you a little sense about about how we Wait, you know how we try to uh, speak with the folks. All right. So here's Yishai on RT. For more on this, let's cross live now to Yeshay Fleischer, spokesperson for the Jewish community in Hebron. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Now, what is the main message that all of these Israelis taking part in the pro-settler march want to convey? I think that they want to convey that we have every right to live in our ancestral land. We are an indigenous people in this uh, in this place. We're not really settlers at all. We're really resettlers. Uh, we have come back uh, to assert our rights, uh, our self-determination in our ancestral homeland uh, and Judea and Samaria. This is the uh, heartland of the Holy Land. This is where we're from and this is where we're going to go. And uh, we liberated that land in 1967 and we intend on indeed settling that land, holding on to it, developing it and really making it into a a strong Middle Eastern country, which is uh, uh, really a partner for Middle East peace and progress. Uh, but the prerequisite for that is the Jewish people's rights in their ancestral homeland. That's what the march was about. And how significant is it that they were joined by Ben Giver, the national security minister, who openly stated that the Israeli nation is, quote, there to stay? Well, I think that he is a leader, but he represents the will of the people. Uh, and so uh, Minister Ben Giver, who I am an advisor to as well, um, I think stated what, what people want to hear, which is we're, we intend on living in these places. This is where our literature is. This is where our history is. This is where archaeology is. Uh, this is just where the Jewish nation is from. Uh, this is the crucible uh, of our identity, uh, and it's almost 4,000 years old. So that's where we're going to be, and the minister was echoing that sentiment, which is really the people's sentiment. Now, in response, the Palestinian leadership called the march a, quote, provocative move, which could lead to even more violence. Would you say that's a fair claim? Well, I would say that they really don't need an excuse. Uh, Everything for them is provocation. The most provocative thing uh, for the Palestinian leadership, not for every individual Palestinian, but for the Palestinian leadership, is the existence of Israel. That is just very provocative for them. It bothers them to no end since they're committed to the destruction of Israel. Again, I'm talking about the leadership, the jihadist leadership. Uh, but decent folks, decent Arabs, millions of Arabs, want to see a strong Israel. Um, and uh, they don't side with the PA, which so many uh, Arabs hate and see as corrupt and see as jihadist and see as regressive instead of progressive. For them, every show of Jewish strength, including the towers of Tel Aviv or worshipers in in, in Jerusalem, that to them is provocative since they don't want to see Israel exist. Now, when it comes to the international response here, is Israel ready to risk international condemnation for this march? And how will Israel respond to any such criticism coming its way? Today, I'm on RT, which is, uh, you know, Russian television, Russia Today. And I think that Russia knows very well how to stand up to international condemnation and to do what they think is right. Um, I'm not comparing our situations. I'm just saying that sometimes nations need to stand up to other nations uh, who, who think that they know better uh, what we should do. And we've got a cabal of countries that uh, are trying to tell Israel uh, uh, you know, a, a country that's 75 years old in its reincarnation, but really uh, 3,800 years old. Uh, it's trying to, the world's trying to tell us, or some countries in the world want to tell us 
what to do. We have, on the other hand, many allies uh, that uh, are not telling us what to do and think that we understand our security needs and our historical needs and, and our claims for, for, for justice and self-determination. And so those countries uh, let us do what we think is right. But there are countries who think they know better. And I think that uh, viewers of uh, Russia, uh, Russian television know very well uh, that sometimes people want to get in your business and tell you how to behave. Uh, and you don't always have to listen to them. You really have to do what's right and what's just and, uh, and hold up your, your claims. Now, on that topic of other nations possibly thinking that they know better, some leaders at the rally also stated that Israel needs to free itself from the U.S. and Europe. What is your take on such statements, and what would this mean practically when it comes to the West Bank region? I think that saying something uh, th that we have to free ourselves from the U.S., or Europe, it's a very broad statement. First thing, all nations should be free. They should have liberty uh, to make their decisions. And, and when it comes to the US, there are millions and millions of people in the United States of America who are with Israel, who are good people, who believe in Jewish people's rights, who believe in our self-determination, who believe in our historic and biblical past as well. Uh, so, so I wouldn't say free ourselves from America. I would say free ourselves from forces in America that want to see our weakness and not our strength. Same thing for Europe. There are many countries in Europe. In, in Eastern Europe, we have a lot of allies uh, and in other countries as well. I mean, you know, uh, for example, like Ireland. Ireland's not exactly a great friend of Israel, but I know many groups uh, in Ireland that, 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 you know, on Twitter and other places were, you know, standing strong with Israel. They call themselves, you know, Irish for Israel, etc. And so uh, we have to free ourselves from the forces that want our weakness. But of course, stay connected to those people throughout the world who cheer Israel on and see it really as a miracle and, and, and a sign of liberty uh, and an opportunity for the Middle East uh, to move forward. Gishe Fleischer, the uh, spokesperson for the Jewish community in Hebron, thanks so much for your time and input. Thank you. Why do I get the feeling they're not on our side? <laughs> Well, this one was relatively relatively fair, but well, you know, I didn't see the rest of the program, which is where the real side becomes uh, clear. Amaka, uh, to be on our side, you got to be informed. Okay, it's really easy not to be informed, and that's why I really recommend. I really, 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 really recommend that people take the time to 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 feed their knowledge base with good books. Okay, I always recommend to people the Stone Chumash. From Art Scroll, the, the, the Pentateuch, the Five Books of Moses. You know, I recommend the Book of Our Heritage. Uh, I recommend a few things, but I recommend two news sites for everybody, jns.org, jewishpress.com. They both have a little bit of a different tenor, a different, different focus, a different, a different way of saying things. But if you read those two news sites, you shall be mentally healthy and not be sickened by uh, the, the fake news, fake information, and the slanted, biased, anti-Israel stuff that even comes out of Israel sometimes. I recommend JNS.org. I recommend JewishPress.com. And they're both okay, sponsors excellent. of the show. Well, you know, Ishai, it's about to be Jerusalem Day. Yes, ma'am. And as we say, they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. That's right. And I want to encourage everyone to celebrate Jerusalem Day this week with a nice big fat order from Prohibition Pickle. That's right. Get you some salami. Say Lechaim to Yerushalayim. That's right. Remember when Leah Batzion used to say that a lot when she was a little kid? Yeah, she used she's to like, say Lechaim to Yerushalayim. That's right. Lechaim Yerushalayim. That's right. Lechaim to Yerushalayim. Lechaim to the liberation. That's right. Lechaim to the liberation. What a, what a schut maka. You know, our whole life is, 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 is around Jerusalem. Our whole life has always been around Yerushalayim. Like, and, and, you know, and, and that's what Israel is. Israel is this like 
this 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 thing and it, it's it's it, the heart of it all is is Jerusalem the heart of the heart is the Temple Mount uh, and uh, and we shall prevail it, it 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 the liberation continues and that's why I say to people that when you call Israel when you're like people are like but what about the status quo I'm just like we are not the status quo nation the whole thing called Israel is a revolution of liberation. And it ain't no status Movement quo. people. Movement of your people. Maybe you didn't hear or get the memo, okay? But we's back in the land, okay? And we are not here for your status quo, jihadi daddy, okay? We are here for revolution, return to our land, okay? So be gone, Brits, and 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 uh, take a don't forget to jaywalk, jihadis, okay? <laughs> and 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 just get take a hike because that's not what's going on around here, okay? We are back. Status quo is not our God. Our God is a pretty, actiony, exciting God, okay? We don't worship the status quo. And so, like, don't tell me, uh, what about the status quo? You mean, you yes, mean, the, what about it? You mean the thing where I don't get to pray on my temple mount, like, don't get to have a temple, don't get to return to my land, be beaten up by the Gentiles that, that hate us? What? No. No, no, it's no more status quo time. Israel is a revolution. Are you part of it or not? Yes, I am. Are you part of it or not? I try to be. That's right, amen. All right, folks, listen. God bless you folks out there wherever you are. Lots of love, lots of blessings. Please write me an email, yishai at yishaifleischer.com. And also, uh, buy me a cup of coffee. It's just that easy. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai. Buy yishai a cup of coffee for heaven's sake Literally, okay? So <laughs> so it's just that easy. What else, Malk? Anything else? Well, I just wanted to say we really want to thank. We we didn't have time this week on the show, but we want to thank. We got some listener email. Yes. This week. Uh, maybe we can put like a bookmark in it or something and, and bring it in for I got a, a, a deep, different show. I got a deep letter from uh, one of the International Torah Congregation people. Yeah. Gentiles who are saying, hey, Jews, teach us some Torah. Uh, we'll talk more about that next right, let's, week. Let's hold on to that letter. We we but don't you, forget you. We read your mail. But but you know what? That's another thing that I wanted to add to the show is Yishai's tip for the International Torah Congregation out there this week, this this Thursday, which is a day early, but really Friday is Yom Yerushalayim Jerusalem Day. It's being celebrated on Thursday here in Israel. So this Thursday, uh, that's the celebration day. But Friday, but especially Shabbat. This I want, is like the least. Clear. Way, clear way to talk All to I'm a saying Gentile is, that I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, well, yes. It's on, we have a holiday. It's really on Friday, but it really goes like Thursday night to Friday night. But because of that, so we're celebrating it on Thursday so that we don't celebrate it on Friday. No, it goes but Friday. Then, because Friday is like leading up into Shabbat. So then you can keep going into Shabbat. Got that, International Torah community? Here's what I'm saying, folks. This, Good this, luck. Good luck out there. This Shabbat, I want everybody to focus on Jerusalem. That's what I'm saying. That's the message right now. It's Jerusalem now. weekend. It's Jerusalem weekend. That's right. The Jerusalem weekend. That's it. And so and wherever you are out there, do your thing about the Jerusalem weekend. Raise your couple of chaim, get a, get a glass of wine, hopefully from the land of Israel or something from the land of Israel, or, or look at the picture and just really this week say, I am connected to Yerushalayim. That is the source of, that's the heart of my religion, of my, of my worship. My, my heart of my worship, and that's and your homework is to pray towards Jerusalem. Assess in your house where the exact direction for Jerusalem is. There are apps for that. There are apps for that, or just or just you know figure out you know look at the map where you are, and then the relative you know compass direction. Get that straight in your mind. You know, you can put and a then, little picture up and put a picture of Jerusalem in that corner over there. We do that. You know, we do that. 
And so it's just that simple and that easy. All right, folks, it's been a long show and a great show. Maka Flesh, I want to thank you so much for being with me. And I mean that in all of the ways, yes. not just on the show today. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you, folks, wherever you are. Thank you to Moshe Herman, Yochevet, Tabitha, Loon We're Live, and Ben Breskia, for, of course, and all of you out there. And, of course, God Almighty for giving us the right and the privilege to broadcast his revelation. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected, and shalom. <laughs>